Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Namaste. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? I was just giving a lead in there since yeah, we're going. That was into, good, sure, man. I, I love that. I yeah. like it too. That Indian cinema this time. Uh-huh. That's, that's that was... the only thing I know. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are starting off a block, a new one, all about Indian cinema. And I think it's good maybe to set up expectations from the start. We say it a lot now and again. We are three white dudes in a basement in America. That should be the name of our podcast. <laughs> Three white dudes in a basement. Yeah. Um, That's actually probably a movie. But we love cinema of all kinds. We are definitely going to butcher names as we go along oh, on yeah. these episodes. We apologize. We so apologize much. in advance. Um, if you are versed in the language, please, I encourage you, write in, give us corrections. And say, like, you dumbass. Um, we're always eager to learn, so just set that expectation up right at the start yes. everything the whole time when i was like reading for for this movie i was like fuck <laughs> there's a lot of consonants in that name yeah <laughs> i don't even think i'm gonna be able to say that and our movie which is michael's pick this time is tumbad 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 i think tumbad hmm. but we got other shit to do before we get to that. yes we do we're going to talk about what we've been watching, and I have a podcast shout-out. Because we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. <laughs> you didn't fuck it up this time. Yes. Got it all out in one. Um, we're under no compulsion to shout-out any of these other shows. I just want to. I just want to check them out, view all our podcast neighbors, and share the love. I mean, Jason has my son held hostage, but it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You've ruined the dramatic reveal. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, so I checked out... Uh, you know, some of the ones on the network, like some are on hiatus, some are like they've done some episodes and they've kind of hung up. I try to look into like why that's going on. Sometimes it's hard to make clear, but I checked out one that's only got a handful of episodes. And now that I listened to it, I need them to come back desperately. Yeah. So I want other people to go check them out. So maybe, maybe they'll, you know, kick yeah. it back into gear. Right. So I listened to Live, Laugh, Kill, which is a true crime podcast. Ooh. I love that name. That's a great name. name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hosted by Coda and Colby, and they could discuss any kind of true crime, whether it's like a big major player. Why do people have so much cooler names than we do? I know. We're, we do what we do. <laughs> we get by. <laughs> um, and they even focus on like smaller cases, too, that maybe like other podcasts don't pick up on. And they're just very passionate about it. They just want to, you know, true crime's super big for podcasting. So mm-hmm. that's the uh, prescribed film Link in the chain. When, when was their last uh, episode? Uh, it's been quite a while. Oh, no. Like last year-ish, I think. Oh, no. So I don't know if they went on a hiatus or what's going on. Uh, I couldn't run down. I hope they themselves not become a victim of a true crime. That would be Hey, bad. what if they actually like went looking for the <gasps> serial killer from like the 70s? Oh, my God. Um, and like, but they went as podcasters to try to interview mm-hmm. the serial okay. killer. And yeah. then like they accidentally caused that serial killer to break out of his mental institution huh and uh, maybe, maybe they've got like an old memento of his that he used that <laughs> they've got it with them that's a possibility and he gets it back from them that's a possibility interesting i wow. feel like i've seen it should this be a movie before. or something yeah. <laughs> um no it fucking shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but so things i like about them great audio production i yep. always love that in a podcast mm-hmm. and then and i don't know if this is just a thing that I've never picked the brain of like the person at the top here for prescribed films, but every podcast I've checked out, if it's multiple hosts, they all have like a good 
like synergy with one another good mm-hmm. like they play off each other very well have a good rapport really feel like friends and you're just brought into the conversation that's something else we need <laughs> oh we got that a little bit just just a little um but they have that and so it was very engaging and like exciting to listen to and of the like big hitters they've covered they did richard ramirez the oh, night cool. stalker which yeah. is one of my personal God, favorites a freak man because he scares the fuck out of yeah, me. Just, yeah. just the concept of like... He's a scary motherfucker. You come home and he's been in your house for hours, standing in a closet, perfectly still silent, waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what he was doing. <laughs> he he could have been just like hanging out. And then like he sees you coming home, he just runs to the closet. <laughs> like, oh shit, it's like, Oh shit, I gotta be creepy. <laughs> Maybe. Like, you don't think he stays in that closet the whole time, do you? I don't know. Perhaps. Man, he got so much fan mail. From from women and like pictures, <laughs> and I saw some of them. That I mean, some some foxy chicks, man. <laughs> and it's crazy, far out, man. <laughs> right, <laughs> groovy. So yeah, uh, live, laugh, kill. Go check them out. Join me in my magical thinking as I try to wish them back. Yes, let's do it into activity. Are they are they foxy chicks at all? Because Jason will have something to say if they're foxy chicks. I will. What have you guys been watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of foxy chicks. Oh, good segue. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I finally got a... <laughs> I find, you're going to get a You're going to get a copy strike. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should just talk about that because it's funny. Uh, one of our episodes got copy striked on Facebook for like a second of audio. And they refuse to tell me what it is. I'm pretty sure that it was my Mickey impression. <laughs> you got to stop singing and shit like that, dude. I'm, I'm almost positive that my Mickey impression was so spot on <laughs> that Disney was like, "Oh fuck no, oh no, we're no, you can't have that." The House of Mouse is just like, "Who are these fuckers?" <laughs> Continue, Jason. Okay, so my movie is one I've been meaning to watch for a while, and, and finally got around to it. Called Thoroughbreds. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, I kind of wanted to check it out. Yeah, it's directed by Corey Finley, and it has Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you watched it. So. And one of the reasons. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Cook, she's awesome, too. She was in Ready Player One, Bates Motel. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's one of Anton Yelchin's last films, too. Wow. Uh, Great actor. Yeah. Uh, so the little blurb here is two upper class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle their unlikely friendship after growing after years of growing apart together they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems no matter the cost hmm it is a tight 90 minutes Mm -hmm. it's got a very small cast Mm -hmm. um it's a good great little tight Indie type movie. <laughs> is it tight? It's, you think tight. it's tight. It's tight, tight, tight. <laughs> um, Don't say tight. Don't say tight. It's tight. <laughs> it's tight. It's tight. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much about it. But I mean, the two leads carry the film. I mean, this could be a play, Michael. This really oh. would work well as a play. Ah. <laughs> we need to, we need to do a block now. one day where it's movies that could be a play. <laughs> yeah. I'll just bring any movie. I'll bring like Lord of the Rings and you guys are like, the fuck, Michael? <laughs> This can't be a play. It's too much. Uh, but if people like kind of slow burn, uh, what what genre is this? Oh Just, God! Well, according, you've been kind of cagey about. I what's have going been kind on. of cagey about it. Um, according to IMDb, it is comedy, crime, drama. 
No, okay. I don't really get a lot of comedy out of this myself. There's some black comedy to be sure. But I would say it's crime, drama, maybe some suspense. Okay. I'm in. Yeah, I think you'd dig it. I mean, it's on you, Taylor Joy. And as much as we make comments about her being Jason's girlfriend, she's really fucking good. She's great. She's so good in this. And this isn't like much of a spoiler, but we haven't really seen her play a character like this. Because she's not very sympathetic. Oh. And she's great. She pulls it off. Killer. Yeah. I recommend it. I know it's streaming somewhere. I guess I could have looked that up. I mean, where did you watch it? Um, I want to say... <laughs> he doesn't even <laughs> remember. <fuck? laughs> Shut up. Are you in a fugue state? <laughs> you know, I might be. Do you smell burnt toast? Oh, no. Wait, did you watch this while the nephews were here? Just before they got here. Okay. You lost a whole lot of time while I really the nephews were here. Oh, it's HBO Max. Oh, mine came from HBO that. Max. So there you go. Oh, well. Interesting. Well, speaking what, what, of that. What is the real one you watch on HBO Max? Okay, well, I'm going to do one a quick shout out because um, I just want to draw attention to the movie. Um, Shudder just got the This Is Guar documentary. Yeah, you need yeah. to watch that. Um, which I wrote a piece about it for a website that I ain't going to plug. You're welcome to search my name if you want. And that This Is Guar, and you'll probably find it, but I ain't plugging them. Um, uh, hey, it is what it is. It's still out there. Um I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. Um, if you like Guar, uh, especially if you tuned into our Dookie episode, yeah, um, and you are a fan of Dookie Flyswatter, then by all means, please go on Shutter and watch This Is Guar. It's it's so in depth. It's a passion project for sure. Um, so check that out. But my actual movie that I did uh, was on uh, HBO Max from 2020. It's a crime mystery thriller called The Quarry. Not to be confused with that new video game that everybody... <laughs> that's, that's the first thing I thought of. This movie's in my queue. I haven't watched it yet, though. Uh, with Michael Shannon? Yeah. Okay. I love Michael Shannon. He's great. Um, it stars Michael Shannon and Shea uh, Wiggum, which if you know Shea Wiggum, you just don't know the name Shea Wiggum. I so. keep seeing Chief Wiggum in my head. That's all that's coming to me <laughs> uh, right he now. Has been a, he's a character actor in so much stuff, like... Once you see this dude, you're like, oh my god, I've seen that guy in like okay. every. He's been. He was he's he's Perry, one of those that guys. Yeah, he was in like Perry Mason. Popped up in there. Uh, hmm. Shit, I think he was in. Oh fuck his his list on IMDb is just insane. A lot of TV credits and stuff. Uh, no, all films, all films mostly. Oh, okay. um, once you see him, you're like, oh yeah, shit, I know that guy. But he's actually the lead in this one. Um, it centers around him uh, on Shea Wiggum's character. Um, don't actually know his real name because he assumes the identity of a murder suspect Mm. um, and kind of starts over his life in a small like rundown texas town really close to the mexican border Um, and he poses as a preacher there and is there a quarry there there is a quarry yes um but michael shannon plays the um sheriff Mm. of the town or the chief of the town they don't really call him sheriff but Hmm. It's a good role. It's a kind of a typical role that you've seen Michael Shannon in, kind of the the asshole type. <laughs> I mean, like if you've seen um, Shape of Water, it's like a tone way toned down version of that. Okay, uh, but he's still great. He's powerhouse. Um, this movie is really small, really small cast. It's really slow, um, but the themes I think are super great. Really, I thought it was very powerful and moving film. If you go on IMDb, it's sitting at a 5.6 because there are 
or there are those that are like, oh man, so much to unpack from this movie. So like, mm-hmm. so much about guilt and confession and and you know like trying to start over, but you can't. And then the other people are like, it's fucking boring. Like I sat there for an hour and forty five minutes. They didn't shoot nobody. <laughs> I'm just I like, like I like how you automatically putting on an exaggerated country accent. One star needed more Corey. That's yeah. <laughs> not enough Corey. Well, the Corey was only in for like five minutes, so maybe. Um, or is it Corey like prey? That uh, kind of Corey. No, it's it's a rock Corey. Well, oh, it could have two meanings. Um, Subtext, Michael. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's actually. Um, pretty short film i think it's only like an hour 40 uh, i really really enjoyed it but it is one of those slow burns so kind of need to be in the mood i i even think calling it a thriller is a stretch it's mm-hmm. just straight drama to me like a crime drama uh but some of it elicited a bit of that blood simple yeah. vibe to me cool so if you're kind of into those sort of things definitely check it out the quarry um on hbo max nice neat how about you, Dustin? Well, I didn't know the theme for today was to bring small but very impactful crime dramas. Yeah. Or I would have. You didn't get the memo? Oh, I didn't get that memo. Huh. Uh, so I'm going to bring a big blockbuster film. Oh, okay. Uh, I went and checked out with a friend, Thor Love and Thunder, mm-hmm. the latest in the Thor series of the MCU. And this one's getting like a lot of flack. Have you guys noticed this? Like, everyone's like, oh, it's. It's back to being like the bad Thor movies again. And I've kind of tuned out. I really haven't heard anything about it. What I it. heard, it sounded like people saw the trailer and then thought it was going to be something else, and it was what the trailer was. Yeah. Um. So I actually really, really loved it. It's still the same like Taika Waititi vibe. If you liked Thor Ragnarok and everything he shifted there, it's mm-hmm. the same same tone, very jokey, very bombastic, very colorful, very cool. Um. And it there was a lot to love here, because I think... A lot of these newer Marvel films they've done, they've fatigued me. You guys know I ranted about Multiverse of Madness a lot to you. I got fatigued a long um, time ago. And I've vindicated you on that. Yes. So. Uh, it just like they try to do like too much in one film because they're trying to set up, set up, set up for the next thing. Yeah. And this one was great because it really just felt like it was its own little standalone. Here's a story about Thor that's going on now in the wake of like other stuff. And you've got the Guardians in there, but they very rightly like they're there right at the start as like a setup thing. And then they just like cut that off, and then it's just Thor on his adventure now. Uh, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, freaking amazing, has to be like one of the top MCU villains of all time. Just amazing performance, great performance. Maybe more horror stuff with things that he does in his portrayal than in all of Multiverse of Madness. Wow. So everyone's saying that's like the first Marvel horror film. Take that and stuff it. <laughs> um... <laughs> And, you know, he's, he's a man with a plan. He wants to kill all the gods. And basically in one film, he is almost more threatening than they spent, like, what was it, 20 films making Thanos a big deal. Yeah. And and then same thing, he almost does it. But, of course, it's a Marvel movie, so you know the heroes win. Um, awesome to see Natalie Portman getting to be the Mighty Thor. And then, like, bringing back Jane Foster and kind of, like, rectifying how they sort of tanked that in the early Thor films. Oh yeah. She was like off on some Island or something. Yeah. I was um, so bummed when I found out that her muscles were fake. Yeah. Cause when I first saw that trailer, I was like, Holy shit. Natalie Portman <laughs> got jacked. No, that's, it's fine that they're fake. If you ask me, um, but it was great to see her get to play like an actual, like superhero on the screen and be all awesome. Did they take the comic story? Yeah. Oh no. Uh, if you, if you know it, uh, be ready for the end. Cause it was, Ooh, it hit hard. Okay. 
especially if you're a big Natalie Portman fan like me. Um, I knew what happened in the comic, and I was like, oh no, please don't do that in the movie. And that's what I appreciate. Like, they change some things, of course, because they have to, like, match the film universe they're doing. But, like, the bits with gore, they mostly hit, like, the main points they needed to hit. And then the Mighty Thor stuff, they played that out to the right conclusion. Okay. Well, no. So, yeah. No. Okay. Um, if you dig the Thor films, it's super fun. Nothing deep, nothing great. It's about two hours long, so Jason, I know that's... <laughs> do you but, need to be particularly well-versed in anything other than Thor? Uh, I guess you really just need to know... Or like the, the Avengers films. The Avengers stuff. So yeah. like, in the game, he became not worthy and lost the hammer. And right. They made, uh, was it Stormbreaker, his big axe that he has? Yeah, not Stormbringer. And then he left Somebody off... Somebody see that in the movie. He left off to like explore space with the Guardians. Yes. And then it picks up like right from there. Yes. Yeah. So you're caught up. All right, I'm ready to go. There's not, there's not a lot of like lead-in. You don't have to see every single film at okay. a time. I'm getting tired of that shit. <laughs> so yeah, Thor Love and Thunder. I quite liked it, and I, I think the public opinion on it's maybe a little little off, a little, little unfair. I think it's superhero fatigue setting in. Like Even if the movie's good, people are just, maybe, maybe. I mean, they're still making bank, but oh, yeah. maybe people are kind of starting to get kind of tired of it. I just think people are getting harder and harder to please. I think people just want Avatar 2, and they want it now. <laughs> They're just, they can't take it anymore. They've been screaming all these years for Avatar 2. <laughs> I can't 2. take it. There, there's no film I want less Because I want to see what... Um, than Avatar 2. What, uh, you know, my, one of my favorite characters. That, you know, the guy in the movie? Sam Worthington? <laughs> I'm trying to t- say about how forgetful the characters are in that movie. I don't uh, think I can even name you I can't. I can't character. tell you fucking shit about Navi. that movie. And one of his names is Navi. Isn't that the That's the name of the race. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really just a rip of Pocahontas, so... No, it's Fern Gully. It's fucking Fern well, Gully. It, it's all of those kind of... It's John Carter of Mars. Every fucking thing. <laughs> Ugh. All right, sorry. <sighs> Let's not get all angry about this movie. Let's talk about another movie that perhaps doesn't make us so angry. That's where the copyright strike's coming from. My own someone already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we gotta we gotta get some legal action if that's the case. You made those. Yeah. <laughs> I I kind of wondered if somebody had like maybe stolen it somewhere, <laughs> or maybe you subconsciously ripped it off. Or they, probably. I mean, there's no new music. Yeah. It's all the same shit. So today, to kick off our block on Indian cinema, we are checking out Tumbad from 2018. This is my blind pick. Dustin yes. had seen it. This was one of my back pocket films where one day when it fit the topic, it was going to be my pick and I was going to try to impress you guys with it. Ooh, and Michael you, stole it from and you. And he stole it. Straight up stole it. I mean, that, that list of top 10 Indian films you should see before you die <laughs> really, really <laughs> hammered it down for me. <laughs> he pulled that choice right out of your loincloth. Yep. But it's fun now because I, I have to research That's going to make sense later. Uh, no. Yeah. I, I know. I, I saw what you did. I just wish you hadn't. Uh. Anyways, uh, to orient us a little bit, like always, we're going to talk a little bit just about Indian cinema in general. <laughs> very little. And it's going to be very brief this time because this is a huge topic. And we could do like our usual, like if we go deep two hours and we would not cover everything we should cover. I had no fucking idea until I started reading about Indian cinema. Like, Jesus. As big of movie geeks as we are, and I could like spiel stuff off the top of my head about several different countries and stuff like that. I know virtually nothing about Indian cinema. Yeah. I've seen a handful of films. 
And that's what I love about doing this because it's like there's always more to experience, more to learn, right. more to like acquaint yourself with. So we are going to do a super quick, super ultra top level overview of Indian cinema. We will, won't hit everything. It's impossible. But there's a lot of like segments, which you kind of mentioned a little bit last time, Michael. Like Bollywood should really be its own topic of discussion. And right. then there's some more like regional areas that kind of do their own like film thing. Those should really be their own topic. So we're going to maybe mention those, but in the future, these would be things we could come back and do a whole series on. And if and when we do, we will go like a deeper dive there. Well, and depending on what your all's picks are, if they come from that region yeah, we at can all, we can always touch on that in. a little bit. So obviously, if we're talking about Indian cinema, we're talking about films produced in India. Uh, I thought a fun thing to start off with is that average statistic... Currently, more than 1,800 movies are produced annually, which is a lot when you think about movies. I wonder how many are produced in the U.S. annually. I don't know. There's no way to know. I didn't think to compare that. (laughs) Um, So some major centers of film production in the country include Mumbai, Chennai, Hyderabad, Kolkata, New Delhi, Amritsar, Kochi, Bangalore, and Guwahati. Um, for quite some time, the Indian film industry ranked the first in the world in terms of actual film output, the number that they made. Uh, in terms of overall box office, it ranks third, and that was a statistic from 2019. Oh, wow. So yeah, for something that we know very little about, they're actually quite huge output and really, really like technically important, I guess, in the scheme of world cinema. Uh, so, Indian cinema is composed of various language-focused film industries. Um, and some of this is just statistics I pulled from like Wikipedia and basic places just to set us up. Mm-hmm. So, in 2019, the Hindi film industry represented 44% of box office revenue uh, in India, followed by Tamil and Telugu films. Uh, each of those had 13%. Other prominent languages in the Indian film industry include... Um, Malayalam. See, this is where it starts. Oh, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> Malayalam and Kannada, each holding five percent, and then uh, Bengali, Marathi, which put an asterisk on Marathi because that's relevant to today's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Odia, Punjabi, Gujarati, and Bajpuri. Good hope job. I, hope I said those. Yeah, nice. very vaguely close. Um, as of 2020, the combined revenue of all other language film industries has surpassed that of Hindi. And then in 2021, Telugu cinema became the largest film industry of India and has surpassed the others. And it begins. <laughs> and it starts. And for such a huge output, it seems like, until very recently, I mean, Americans just really have not seen that many... Indian films. Well, I think one of the things that, uh, I mean, much to uh, Dustin's chagrin, mm-hmm. um, How does your wife pronounce that word? I, she doesn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Netflix has brought a ton. Yeah, I've noticed. To the States, because, I mean, with a, such a huge Indian population mm-hmm. living in the United States, like... It's probably why we're seeing it more. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's... It's one of those things like you can't expect somebody to come here from another country and then be like, well, I just only want to watch your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, right. I want to see things from home. I want to see the culture that I 
you know, grew up in. And so honestly for Netflix to bring it here, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a really <laughs> yeah. big deal because mm-hmm. it kind of gives you an opportunity to see a bunch of stuff that you, there's like, where else were you going to get it? Right. <laughs> and as much as I like to rag on Netflix and some streaming services, like that is the one boon of the whole format is that they have been able to like open up the borders on stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, unless one you guys one of you guys might pick it i doubt it but like rrr has now made like the hugest splash on netflix yeah it's supposed mm. to be pretty good um it's supposed to be bad shit yeah um <laughs> but like you know a, a film like that has hit top 10 in netflix in the united states which i think is a huge deal for american viewers and i've talked to a couple people who are like have you watched that and i'm like you watched yeah that cinema? <laughs> okay i wasn't expecting that that's cool that's great though nice so the first Indian film officially released, there was some stuff before, but it was more just like footage of stuff that was then cut together and shown. Porn. But actual, <laughs> like, we set out to make a film. I don't think so. Not with Indian cinema. Um, it was called Sri Pundalik, and it was a silent film in Marathi, and it was released in 1912. Wow. And I think even before that, like, the people who introduced the country of India to film were the fucking Lumiere brothers. They were, yeah. So... It goes all. It's supposedly one of the oldest film industries in the world. Um, some people have argued that that film isn't officially the first because um, it technically was a play, and I guess they just filmed the play. So, so it, works, it as works, works as a play. As a play. <laughs> so it does work as a play. <laughs> File that away, Michael, for that that block. Um, and some people say too. I think the, the cameraman on that shoot was a British guy. Oh, so they kind of like. Well, does it count? I don't know. Da da da. Um. And that's the only time a British person ever bothered anything with India, sure. right? <laughs> that's the only time. Mm-hmm. Put a pin in that for this episode <laughs> as well. Um, so the period from the late 1940s to the early 1960s is often considered to be the golden age of Indian cinema. Uh, this period saw the emergence of the parallel cinema movement, which we'll talk about in a minute. And um, that accounted for a quarter of all film output in India at the time. So parallel cinema, what this was, it was a movement of a style of filmmaking that wanted to emphasize social realism as its main central thing. Uh, Early examples of this you can look through, and I've sought out some of these trailers. Some are out there, and I'm going to put them in the show notes, and I highly recommend you check them out. Cool. Because it's very interesting. Some of these aren't, and that's just is what it is. Um, Darty K. Lal from 1946. Um, Nietzsche Nagar from 1946. Nagarik from 1952, and um, Do Biga Zaman from 1953. And that kind of set up the foundation for this uh, film movement. And the ones that followed it, like uh, there was a push for like neorealism kind of stuff. And then they had like a new wave era that followed that. Um, and so another big one to talk about, and this is one I've actually heard of before but never seen is the Apu Trilogy from 1955 to 1959. This actually won prizes at major international film festivals, and it really established this parallel cinema idea as like a confirmed, like this is, you know, an art style that's emerging in the world of filmmaking. Uh, Pather Panchali, which was the first part of the trilogy, uh, was super influential and it it went on to inspire a lot of like coming of age drama style stuff. That was a big, um, a big splash on like art house circuit films all throughout the mid fifties. So super influential, reaching into even stuff that we've probably seen, we just have never known it to know the connections. Right. Hmm. 
So this very realistic, almost documentarian, like parallel cinema stuff continued up and through the 70s. And each like different culture in India kind of took their own spin on it. Um, and I lost my place in my notes. I apologize. Um, no one will know. I'll edit it. <laughs> well, that's the 70s is when the masala film yes. genre broke out, right? And that's what and I'm became moving dominant. into. Because as this parallel cinema thing built up, there started to be some criticism that like um, they had like a film commission like everywhere does. And they were being accused that they weren't doing enough to encourage commercial filmmaking. Like they were trying to just only push this art house stuff, which was making a weird balance of things. We mm. all know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's real long. There ain't nothing happening in it. <laughs> That's my version of the uh, Indian redneck. Man. <laughs> ain't nobody shooting um, in this. But so Hindi commercial cinema continued on uh, through the 70s at the same time, just not as prominent. And you had notable films like Aradana from 1969, Sacha Jutha from 1970, um, Kadi Patang from 1971, and Dog from 1973. And so throughout the 70s, what you would call like commercial cinema was kind of experiencing like a thematic stagnation. Um, at the time, it was dominated by uh, musical romance films. And a lot of that was inspired by like the popularity of like the classic big Hollywood musical. Right. Um, and then the arrival of a screenwriting duo, Salim and Javed, which was Salim Khan and Javed Akhtar, they kind of revitalized the industry because they brought in this different style that not many Indian films had used at the time. And that was this sort of like whole genre of these gritty, violent, underworld crime films. And that included movies like Zanjir from 1973 and Diwar from 1975. And that just, like, was this whole shift away from these, like, more whimsical, romantic musicals into something, like, very serious, very gritty, and these, like, hard-hitting crime stories. I mean, we had a similar path here. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up, because that was something I wanted to note, that, like, around the world, a lot of these trends kind of, you know, shift in the same direction. Yeah, Hong Kong, you know, and their big Mm -hmm. action or crime boom thing. Um, and it focused on themes of um, like the urbanization of India at the time, uh, focused on the discontent and disillusionment of among general people, the unprecedented growth of slum areas, urban poverty, uh, political corruption, and widespread crime. Ah, the 70s. 70s is just a great time all around Fuck for cinema. Yep. You know it. Oh, yeah. Um, so, also from the 70s, we have to talk about Bollywood just for a second. The term was coined in the 70s, and that was when all the conventions of Bollywood films were kind of established, which those rest on the idea of the masala film. Jason, do you want to talk about that? Because I think you have stuff on it. I, well, <laughs> I, I think when people think of Bollywood or even, you know, Indian films in general, they think of the masala film, which are ones that mix different genres like action and comedy romance drama but even more than just saying like here's a horror film that's also a crime film it's like you're you're five or six genres deep yeah and and musicals and they always they always have musical (laughs) numbers like even the horror films they're just gonna break into song and dance i kind of wish more american films would Mm. no 
I ain't got no problem with it. <laughs> if it's a oh. look, man, I love fucking show tunes. I ain't gonna That's fight fine. about I it. That's fine. I like some show tunes too, but <laughs> not I every. I love musicals. Not every movie, especially every horror film, needs music. It, it, There's a whole cultural thing too, of course. You know, yeah. would have been better with musical number. Uh-huh. Halloween Kills. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, yeah, why not? Which, unfortunately, I forgot to, to note that the guy who wrote the Corey also wrote Halloween Kills, but don't hold that against him. Ooh. <laughs> I know. But when you watch the Corey, you're like, oh, uh, Hold on, let me this. take this off my watch yeah. list. <laughs> Can you just imagine, though, if like the townspeople, right before they went to kill Michael, they were like, Grab your pitchforks, we're going to kill Michael Myers. Evil dice of night. Evil dice of night. Couldn't be any worse. Um, yes, so um, that's a central thing. We'll definitely go into Bollywood one day. Um, and that's remained super popular up to the modern times and on. Definitely going to? <laughs> I mean, I'll know, stick around. I might be sick that day. Stick around, see what happens. I gotta go. Um, so I, I don't want to be uh, around anymore. So that's a very, very brief and very not good enough quick run through of some history but it, it's enough for now yeah yeah um, it's, it's, it's so much it's we, so we much. often talk about themes and ideas and stuff too so i pulled from this from an article and it was um basically where someone broke down like the six major influences that have shaped popular cinema in india that they've like pulled on to inspire everything that they've done so i was just going to run through these real quick the first one is stuff like the ancient epics uh the mahabharata and the ramayana those have influenced the narratives of Indian cinema. Uh, and that includes things like the techniques of having a side story, a backstory, or a story contained within a story. Um, many popular films from India often will have plots that will branch out into different subplots. And a good example of this is from 1993 with films like um, Kal Nayak and Gardish. So number two ancient Sanskrit dramas, which have an emphasis put on spectacle, combined music and dance moments, and that was all intent to make like a vibrant, artistic moment that builds into a dramatic experience. Dustin, I think everyone knows what an ancient Sanskrit drama is. <laughs> now you're talking down to the audience. Well, just in case, because I didn't know before I started <laughs> this research. So I'm, whoever's out there that's like me, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm pulling you through. <laughs> <laughs> and those who are like Jason, who like have a catalog of ancient Sanskrit dramas. Yes. <clears throat> um, He's got a monocle in right now looking at them. <laughs> and so Sanskrit dramas were known as Natya, derived from the root word Nrit, which means dance. And that was basically these like dance dramas. And I'm sure, Jason, you can already see where this is going mm-hmm. in the scope of like Bollywood and stuff. Um so the Rasa method of performance, which dated way back into ancient times, is one of the fundamental features that many say differentiate Indian from Western cinema. So in this Rasa method, you have uh, empathetic emotions get conveyed by the performer through their dance and actions, and then that is like relayed to the audience through their performance. So if you think about like the ideas of like acting from a Western sense, it's very much like the actor must become the character. They are no longer the actor. They have become like the living, breathing embodiment of a character. And then they it, are that person. Isn't that acting? But this idea is it's more about conveying the emotions of that moment. 
You see, they have these things called cue cards that help me remember my lines. <laughs> um, some good examples of this. Uh, notable one is from 2006, and that is um, Rang de Basanti. So number three. I, before you move on, I yes. do think there's a cultural element there that's lost on Americans because oh totally oh yeah our culture is not steeped in dance. No, like I mean, we're what did we produce? Fucking line dancing, you know, like <laughs> all the other great. Well, we also don't have like thousands and thousands of years of history. This is true, and then also our history goes back to like puritanical stuff. So it's very like <laughs> yeah. sit there and be quiet. No and you can't lead to dancing because dancing <laughs> might lead to sex. So yeah. that's just you can't do that. It's like Footloose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They should. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, number three. Traditional folk theater became very popular in the 10th century when Sanskrit theater interest was dying down. And so these were more like regional traditions like the Yatra of West Bengal, uh, Ramalila of Uttar Pradesh. And these were more like what you would think of a typical theater play performance. Movies um, that work work as a play, <laughs> right? Yes. Obviously, and um, but based on like regional folk tale kind of thing. Indian cinema is where it's at for me because there's so <laughs> many films plays. that could work as a play. The musicals. This is your sweet spot. It is uh, number four, Parsi theater, which was a style of theater that blended realism and fantasy, music and dance, narrative and spectacle, earthy dialogue and ingenuity in the stage presentation and the way they presented the performance. And usually focused on having very dramatic melodramas as the plots. Uh, the Parsi plays often contain crude humor, melodious songs and music, sensational concepts, and dazzling stagecraft. Melodious. That's a great word. Um, so again, like a, a lot of these, as far as like the big influences, you're getting music every time. That's like a key feature, mm-hmm. which I actually respect a lot. I think that's interesting. Um, Jason just side-looked me. Why? <laughs> Why did you side-look me? Nothing. And so elements like this, you see them show up in films like uh, Cooley from 1983. And also, again, the, uh, Rang de Basanti, which is actually like a very popular film that as well has some elements from that. I wish I had some idea of what you were talking about. <laughs> I, it's the problem. I have, I have no touchstone. This is like Indian the one time you're actually going to go to the show notes. And yeah, I'm like, click look at all the links. <laughs> Although, you know, hey, thumbs up on the pronunciations because they, they sound good. I don't think you're massacring probably it. You sound like you know what you're doing. I mean, you probably are. Our Someone's listeners gonna... in India are like, what yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking idiot. Please let us know. Let us know how big of an idiot Dustin is. <laughs> I hope I don't get us delisted from Ghana. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. There's like, there's got to be some sort of grade for effort, right? Uh, number five. Hollywood musicals became very popular in India, especially ones from like the 1920s up through the 1960s. I guess music is cross-cultural, mm-hmm. you know. In I mean, way. I listen to Japanese music all the time. Sure, I don't right. know what the hell You don't even saying, need to know the lyrics. No, you, just, can, you can still hear the melody and everything. It feels good. I mean, I know that Baby Metal says, give me chocolate, and that's all I really need to know. That's, yeah. that's all I need. Um, so... It was a big inspiration, but when they adopted the idea of like the Hollywood musical, Indian musical makers departed some from the format in ways that like were significant to them. So like one example is when you think of the Hollywood musical, their plots often focused on the world of entertainment themselves. They were in Hollywood or it was someone coming out to be a big star, to try to make it big, be a big musician, be a film star, things like that. Mm-hmm. Something everyone can relate to. Mm. So Indian filmmakers 
instead wanted to like enhance the idea of a fantasy. So um, they would use song and music as a natural mode of articulation for a situation in their film. So there was a big tradition of pulling from like, <coughs> I apologize, trying to narrate mythology, history, or like folk stories through song and dance. And it's considered that like, as in Hollywood, they wanted to conceal the constructed nature of their work so the realistic narrative was wholly dominant. For Indian filmmakers, they didn't want to conceal the fact that what was shown was clearly a creation that was like an illusion or fictitious. Instead, they wanted to use this and show a creation and show how that intersected with people's day-to-day lives and make complex and interesting situations. Okay. Jason's looking very dubious at me I'm, now. I'm very suspicious. And number six, last and final on this list. Pornography. <laughs> Not, no, I'm telling you. Western Not mu- music television, particularly stuff like MTV. Okay, which, I, I know MTV. Which had a growing influence in the 1990s. <laughs> and from the 90s on, you can see it in a lot of their films as far as like the way films are paced, camera angles, the way they have a dance sequence. Uh, especially, I think, with Bollywood, like you can sometimes just slice a segment. And if you just showed that to a person, they might mistake it for a music video. Mm, Right. Just in its presentation. Um, A good early example for this one is the Tamil language film Bombay from 1995. I've actually heard of that. Yeah, that's another pretty bigger name one. God damn it, Jason. (laughs) So, (laughs) again, we can never do it enough time to give it justice, but there is a very quick... Whirlwind overview of Indian cinema. I shit you not. If you go to Wikipedia just to try to get like baseline information about mm-hmm. Indian cinema, you're going to be reading for a long fucking time. Yeah, and that's just scratching the surface. I, I pulled a bit from there. I pulled a bit from some articles. But even after what I pulled and assembled, I had to parse it down. So. It's just like it's fucking massive and yep. you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's kind of typical American attitude, right? Like. Well, I mean, in all fairness, though, if you've never been exposed to something... And especially if it's not easily had over here. Right. You know, like, yeah. if, if there's not, like, a a, a film st- or a, a distribution company that, that picks them up and puts them out, like, we kind of got lucky with a lot of the old Chinese films and Hong Kong films because you'd have studios that would bring them over, like Golden Harvest and... Because uh, well, they sold, like, hotcakes for home video and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, if that shit's not going to sell... Yeah. Here, nobody's going to bring it. So, uh, But that brings us to our movie today. Yes. Tumbad. Directed by Rahi Anil Barve. I think. Yeah. Barve. Barve. Let's go know. with that. Barve. Barve sounds good. Uh, Rahi. I'm just going to say Rahi for now. There you go, Rahi. I know I can pronounce I like that. that one. Yeah. I think uh, he'd be okay with that. So, yeah. Like I said before, this is an absolute blind watch for me, but it, it was highly regarded by a lot of people on the internet, and they Including can't be me. wrong, surely. I didn't even know until you said it. <laughs> uh, do you want to give the synopsis? I'll hit you with it. India, 1918. On the outskirts of Tumbad, a cursed village where it always rains, Vinayak, along with his mother and his brother, care for a mysterious old woman who keeps the secret of an ancestral treasure that Vinayak becomes obsessed with. Yep, that about sums it up. So, our film starts off with kind of a little bit of a backstory, which is... It's nice because uh, if you don't know anything about Indian religious culture, which I don't, um, I gotta start you even earlier than that. Okay, this film has a title card. Oh, that's right. 
And it hits us with a quote that is definitely a theme. Yeah. You should just pile into your mind right away. Mm-hmm. And it says, the world has enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. And that was uh, Mahatma Gandhi. That Gandhi guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so right away, it's like, boom, here's our thesis statement for this film. Yeah. And this little kind of uh, animated thing that we get at the beginning that talks about um, the goddess that created the earth uh, and created all the other gods, that there is one god in particular, uh, Haster, which I kind of love because of the Lovecraftian Haster. Not spelled the same, but yeah, sounds but, the same. Yeah. Um, Haster is like super greedy, right? Greedy yes. and hungry. Greedy and hungry. And all the other gods want Haster gone. Yep, because he wants all the gold and all the food. And he managed to steal all the gold that the goddess of prosperity was giving. And once he started going for the grain, all the other gods started banding against him and defeated him. And so they wanted him gone, but the goddess gave him a choice Mm -hmm. that he could live inside of her womb but never be worshipped. Never be worshipped, and, and every forgotten. Everyone would forget him. Which, if you know anything from Neil Gaiman's American Gods, <laughs> for forgetting a god is the only thing that kills them. Yep. <laughs> um, and so that's what he chooses. Obviously, you know why? Why take death? Yep. Um, and then we're told that the residents of Tumbad, where Haster has been trapped in his mother mother's womb, uh, defy his ancient taboo and build a temple dedicated to Hastar. And because of that, it's the whole raining. village is cursed and it's always raining. Yeah. And holy shit, there's a lot of fucking rain in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a very wet movie. And a lot of it's real. I, they didn't, I, I figured that they probably shot this during the monsoon seasons. Yep. Um, it took six years to shoot it and it, they shot it across four different monsoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like every bit of that felt real. Yep. There's a few shots where they had to use some artificial rain just because like the weather just Can't was really not tell. working with them at all. Yeah. But the vast majority, that's real rain popping off. And so... And Hastar is not a real god either. No. Which plays into the whole mythology because he's been forgotten. And he comes from a, a, a writer. Because that was the inspiration for Rahi on this. Uh, it's a Marathi novelist called Shripad Narayan. And he had a novel called Tumbach Kot. Yes. I'll just maybe tell this story now before we go too deep. Do it. Um, so Rahi first wrote his draft of this film in 97 when he was 18. And then from 2009 to 2010, he made a 700-page storyboard, <laughs> which was like the core like master Bible to make this film off of. And the whole like inception of this was that um, he was speaking with a friend and um, they were at a wildlife sanctuary, and he's like, I have to tell you about the story I read. And he tells him the story, and it is this tumbach caught by this um, Narayan guy. And when he tells him the story, it like blew Rahi away. Like it, He was like, it was so scary. It was the scariest story I'd ever heard. And I thought that was amazing. So I immediately went out to get the novel to read it. And he reads it, and it's just he said it's totally bland, completely mundane, really forgettable. Like the idea is good, but just when he yeah. read it, he was unimpressed. And he realized like what was good about it was his friend's like half remembered version and his excitement for the idea. And that the was way what, he told it. And the it, way right? he told yeah. it. And so he said, I want to take the premise, but I want to make the film the way he told it to me. And that's exactly what 
filmmaking is. Yeah. Because two different filmmakers come up with something completely different with the same script. It's all about how you tell it. And so a lot of the pieces in this story we'll see as we go, like uh, the scheming moneylender, um, a a person left alone with a grandmother that's demonic in some way. Um, All of these are elements from different stories that Narayan has written. And Rahi kind of synthesized them with some of his own ideas to create this film. So I'll put some links about that uh, writer. I don't know if any of his stuff's out there in English that we can get to, but a lot of interesting pedigree behind this film. Mm-hmm. It it very much... Uh, I, this is also... Hep- <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, you have to edit me this time. <laughs> I think this film is also super heavily influenced by Del Toro. Yeah. Um, I mean, how could how could it not be? You know, in a lot of ways. But it's that feel of like it's got that kind of fairy tale yeah. vibe with the the Hastar story. It's and then... fairy tale, but at the same time feels extremely real. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like this is just something that is glossed like brushed aside, like we don't talk about that. And you've got the background of like the real world historical events kind of threaded through everything too. So it made me think of like the devil's backbone. Yeah. Or he didn't direct it, but the orphanage, which he helped produce. Yeah. Another good one. You know, I love, I love that it is set. The story is set in the past because it gives it that kind of fairy tale mythical quality adds well, to it. And we go through a couple jumps. So yeah. there's, there's three distinct kind of chapters of the story. Yep. The, the first chapter begins in 1918, which is also a very significant time because you're coming right out of World War One. Yep. Um, so. The, or the Great War, as it was known then. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So the scene, I, I'm pretty sure it opens with with the, the chick, yeah, the chick coming to a temple and giving the. Uh, oh, it's more of a castle. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, mansion. Uh, they call it a mansion. mansion. Yeah. But it goes to this really awkward scene where she's just giving this old dude a hand job. And of course, it's you don't see anything. No, uh, Indian cinema is very anti like sexual depictions and stuff. You know like what's that, right? going on. Yeah, it's well, very sure. Clear. You don't need to see it. But kind of what I what already set me and hooked me into this movie was. That uh, she says something like, can you hurry this up? And he's like, it'll be done when it's done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm um, like, this old guy, man. And I love it because in the room, they have like the idol for Hastar. Mm-hmm. With this little gold coin. And the idol's fucking disturbing. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. super creepy. <laughs> uh, but that's like gold, an evil Buddha or something. But that gold coin looms at the center of it. and and Because she even asks him, like, will you give me that gold coin? Yeah. You promised it to me before. So she is his mistress um, that he's taken. And he is the Sarkar, which is kind of like... Lord or something. Lord, the chief. They refer to another Sarkar later, which you come to know as, like, head of the British government or in the British government. But that's in the 40s later when they say that. So we've already had a lot more British influence. Mm -hmm. And it's 47, so World War II is over, and there's a huge (laughs) demarcation of, like, land given. Um, not to mention right before, um, there's a lot of stuff that happened <laughs> partition right there as well. Um, uh, that's also beyond our scope. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, we don't go down that road. Uh, but, um, you also see these two kids who are running up uh, on this castle thing and they start to unlock the locks to these gates. And like the kid knows where all the keys are and they're crazy intricate. Yeah. Yeah. They're super cool, um, but the, you get you know the kids aren't supposed to be there, and so one kid starts telling the other one the fairy tale. Um, yeah, it's Viniak and his brother is Sadashiv, and so the fairy tale starts going, and it feels a lot like how you said a friend would tell you, you know, yeah. like, and and we know that 
his grandmother is here locked up and you have to feed her. Yep. Um, and it's because she's always hungry and you have to feed her. And, but you, but if you don't feed her, you know, she'll try to eat you. And it's just the mother's not there yet. They take it upon themselves to feed the yeah, grandmother. They don't know when she's coming back and she right. should already be there. And you can hear the grandmother in the background kind of, Whoa. yeah. Um, so once they, and he, I love it there. He says like the other kids, like, well, how do you feed her? You know? And he's <laughs> like, well, you just spoon a little bit into her mouth. Yeah, she's and always she sleeping. It. Yeah. She's always yeah. sleeping is the issue. And, uh, he, he cooks, um, the Vignac Vignac cooks and so he makes the other kid he says he says I prepared the food you feed her (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) but he tells he knows what he's supposed to say to grandma is if anything gets out of hand not yet no he doesn't say that okay but they've never done this before okay they know that she has to be fed but they've never done it and they're worried because they're they don't know what's going to happen if she doesn't get fed but then the mother comes home yeah they're about to go in Oh my God! She smashes this kid against the freaking wall. <laughs> there's some, there's some. There's child a lot abuse. of slapping yeah. going uh-huh. on. There's some child abuse happening um, here. But the tension in this scene is great. Just like their approach yeah. down the hall. Yeah, there's just that sl- uh, feeling of dread. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and it looked like they weren't taking her the right food too. Like they had her like some rice and soup, and mm-hmm. mom's like, "No, you got to put the pollock paneer on here and like <laughs> slap some good looking pollock yeah, paneer on the plate." Yeah, what she made look a lot better. Yeah. Um, but now this is where they learn, right? That. A little bit later. Okay, God, I just want to jump ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, she's kind of admonishing them for even trying to go do that without her. And then she goes to take care of the grandmother. And the Sarkar that we saw getting the handy in the beginning, he dies. What we learned, too, a little bit, um, this this grandmother is actually the Sarkar's grandmother. Yes. And they're watching her because she is his mistress, so... They kind of have taken it on themselves to look after Grandma. And it's implied that uh, Vinayak is the Sarkar's son. Yes. Yes, because I, I think that we, we do eventually find out that the grandmother is actually, you know, genetically yeah. his grandmother. I mean, at the point that she's in in her existence, I don't think it fucking matters. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the Sarkar dies. And the mother thinks they should leave Tumbad. For some city... Uh, it's uh, Pune. Pune. Is that how you pronounce it? Okay. Uh, Vinayak thinks they should stay to get this treasure that his mother's been working so hard to get. Right. He says, time. you know, he, he promised it to you. It's yours. Yeah. It's supposed to be somewhere in the mansion. Uh, the mother's not having any of this. It's more slapping. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more slapping. A lot more slapping. And that may just be a cultural thing we're missing or I don't know. Well, I think back in that day, everyone yeah. got slapped. That's sure. just how you dealt with children. You just slapped them. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Oh, How's no. that sit with you, Michael? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm Jason, not condoning it. Jason I'm just saying already, that's probably what they did. I don't condone this slapping week, children. Jason and I have already had a lot of conversations about dealing with children. He's like, <laughs> he's like, all I know is that I've made the right choice to not reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A, brother. Fucking A. Um, but so the mother's kind of preparing and getting ready, and the kids are outside. Kids are out, outside. Talking. Uh, Sadashiv is sitting on the tree. Mm-hmm. And I love the way this scene is shot. Yeah. Oof. So good. You're kind (laughs) of on Vinayak, and you can see his brother in the tree, but it's not like focused on him at all. Yeah. It's, I think he's even off frame when it happens. You hear like something snap and the brother screams. Vinayak looks back. His brother's not there. He goes around this little, uh, wall and brother has landed on a rock. His head's like split open. You know who'd love this movie? 
Huh. Erica. Oh, sure she would. Unsung Horrors. <laughs> yeah. There is, You're the one picking this. child endangerment movies I know. Now. It's me. Sorry. Well, this is child death. Spoilers. Child, yeah. Spoilers. He's not dead yet, <laughs> but the mother gathers him up and he, she has to run off to the doctor. She gets like some guy in a wagon to take her. Um, and this is where she tells Vignac, you have to feed grandma. Yep. It's dangerous. Um, if she happens to wake up, you need to invoke the name of Hastar and tell him you have to tell her tell, to go to sleep yeah. or Hastar will come and get you yeah and that will put her back to sleep mm-hmm. almost like a little spell or something yep. and this is where the shit already goes wild in this movie yeah like from this, the very beginning this is where I started to yeah I'm gonna like this movie <laughs> this shit goes wild man <laughs> oh cause there was something that, that briefly we didn't see it when the mother was feeding the grandmother we don't really see the grandmother much but we see her foot yeah, because oh, the mother is cutting her toenails with, with these this huge, like I don't know what it was. They're like guillotine uh, yeah. nail clippers or something. They were amazing, but it was obviously like the grand. It, it's showing you that the grandmother is no Monsters. longer really human yeah. anymore. Ancient. She looks like you know those people who uh, that rare condition where it looks like they're growing wood. Yeah, on yeah. their hand. That's what it looked like to me. And it also kind of made me think of like almost like the Deadites from Evil Dead. Yes, just like the way the skin looks and stuff. And Mater Suspiriorum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Suspiria. that's what I got a lot yeah. too. I got Suspiria. a lot of Mater Suspiriorum. Um, and I think they make it. There's a comment made somewhere that Grandma's uh, jaw is nailed shut mm-hmm. or something, so it's okay. You know, like you just need to feed her the food, and if she tries to wake up, you tell her go to sleep, or Hastro will come get you. Um, but Vinyak now goes into the room to feed her, mm-hmm. and uh, this is where shit goes. Yeah, this is where shit goes real wild. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, also, along alongside this, we're still seeing what's going on with the brother, and he does die as they start heading yes. down the road. Yes, and, and the driver asks if I should go to the doctor or the graveyard. And and in <laughs> grief and crying, the mother says, "Well, take me to the mansion." Mm-hmm. And she decides she's going to grab the gold coin and get her other kid and bounce. Yep. So since I'm going to fuck it up, somebody else should probably walk through what happens with Vinyak and the grandmother. Well, the grandmother looks awesome. Yeah, this you, is you the dead-eyed influence. Yeah, there's lots of Henrietta in there. The makeup is amazing. But yeah, she's got like spikes driven through her jaw. Yeah, to clamp her it shut. Face, yeah. And uh, she wants to eat the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's hungry. She's hungry. So she literally starts chasing him. And she, well, she tries to tempt him at first, too, because she mentions the treasure. That's true. And she's like, oh, I can tell you about the yeah, treasure. Yeah, it's like, come here and I'll tell you about the treasure and all that Just stuff. Just give me some food and I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she gets him in there, gets him close, and uh, she shackles his leg. <laughs> I love the scene. He keeps trying to say the phrase. But he can't remember the name. He keeps going. Klaatu, Barata. Exactly. Yeah, speaking Next of speaking he says, Evil Dead. Hekar, Hafi. It's definitely an H word. <laughs> Hilarious. And there's this awesome shot where the grandmother like rears up and she grabs one of the nails and just slowly pulls yeah. it out of her mouth so she can get her jaw open. Yeah. And it pours blood all over the kid's head yeah. too, which is great. And she had crept up so silently behind him and yeah, latched the chain around his... His and ankle. It, starts dragging him back there. It's so kinetic. It almost makes me think of like the early Peter Jackson horror films. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. uh, Dead Alive. Oh, it's very Sam Raimi. Very Peter Jackson kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, very effective. I thought it was great. And the mother gets home. No, well, no, well, no. no, he actually says the right yeah, name. She's he just about to eat him. Yeah. And he remembers the name and, and knocks her back out. Yeah, and she falls asleep. That's right. 
Great sequence. Uh, the mother gets home. He learns that his brother's dead, and they're they're kind of devastated. And then we cut to them leaving to go to the bigger city. And more slapping. There's more slapping. Yeah, they're on like this boat thing going down river, and she's trying to tell him like you never go back to Timbad. Yeah. Yep. Like promise me you won't go back. He keeps saying we should stay here, find the treasure. Because she <laughs> has the punching them, hitting them. She has them. the coin, and he's like, "Well, if there's a coin, there has to be more." Yeah. Because he he had this huge treasure. We know he had the treasure somehow. Um. And she's pretty harsh because she even tells him, I wish your brother had lived instead of you. Yeah. Which is like, oof. And she actually gives him the coin and she's like, well, if you're so obsessed with it and so greedy here, you take the coin. Yeah. And he's like, I'll throw it in the water if we don't go back. She's like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that his mom has already seen what happens here and that nothing good can come. Well, well she knows a lot more than Vinyak at this stage. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it's key, key that like this is like the root center thing of the greed in this story. Right. He gets the gold coin. He knows there's more. And that sticks with him mm-hmm. throughout the rest of his life. Because now we skip 14 years. Chapter 2. And I like how it picks right back up. Yeah, it just cuts. And then Vidyak is coming back to Tumbad immediately. Right. We don't see anything of him anywhere else. It's, he's just right back at Tumbad. Well, I think that's um, I think that's great oh, yeah. cut because it just shows that's the only thing he's thought, thought about mm-hmm. for these, right. these years. It's That's his only goal yeah. is to get back there. Because he does promise his mom. He, he does. Say, he says, I promise I won't. Yeah. And so, mom probably dead now. That was what I implied. I would they assume. Never, we never find out. We but. never know. But that I don't know why. My thought, actually, the first time I even watched it was like, yeah, she probably died. And he's like, well, okay, now now that she's dead, I'm going to go. Well, mm-hmm. especially Indian culture, too. Like, you take care of your parents. Mm-hmm. Like, you, everyone will live together and you will help take care of your parents. So, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? She probably got some weird herpes <laughs> thing from that old priest. Potentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's clear that he's not doing great. He's still kind of, mm-hmm. you know, living on the edge in poverty. Although he's rocking that killer mustache. Oh, yeah. I love his look once he's grown up. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. And the actor that plays him is uh, Soham Shah. Yes. He's a pretty he, he famous does a great job. actor. Yeah, he's good. Uh, so he goes back to his house and it's all tumbled down and in ruins and he's Tumbled going through it. Down. Tumbled down. Uh, huh. like spider webs everywhere and stuff, overgrown trees. <laughs> and he gets to where his grandmother was, and this was so freaking cool. I love this visual. Yeah. She's still alive. Yeah. Yep. And she's like in the earth and a tree has grown through her mm-hmm. and her heart is still beating and it's inside it's like hanging on the tree like fruit. Yeah, it's like as the tree grew, it like pulled it out of yeah. her, basically. Yeah. And I love when the camera like pans up the trunk of the uh-huh. tree. And he's actually, a tree grew out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cool image. What I kind of loved about this, though, was the sweetness of the two of them. Like, <laughs> If you call it that. No, there is a sweetness between them. They kind of develop a bond, yeah. Yeah, he, like, he comes back for her. Not for her, but yeah. he comes back for other reasons, but... He's still talking to her like a grandchild would talk to a grandmother. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Grandma, look, a tree grew out of you, yeah. you know? And then they start, you know, he starts laughing. And then that's when he starts to find out, like... This is where we get our lore dump from yeah. the uh, grandma. So first she warns him that if he wants to pursue the treasure, he'll become cursed like she was. And you'll get turned into this sort of like a mortal monster that can never... Never die, and you're always like desiring things. Does it seem to dissuade him? Um, and so he like plies her for the info. 
I think there's like some discussion, a bit of bribery going on. Well, she also says that I'll tell you if you basically kill me. Yeah. She just wants wants the release now. She says you can't like you can't feed me enough, you can't help me, but you can put me out of my misery, yeah. essentially. So she explains that the well at the mansion leads into the goddess's womb, and that's where Hastar dwells. And um Basically, the whole idea of this is though Hastar stole the gold, he couldn't acquire the grain. And so he, he can't, like, get he's, at food, basically. He's forever ravenous. And um, he always desires flour because of that. And so we get a little bit of him, like, exploring the mansion. But they do a clever thing here that I super love. Uh-huh. We don't see the first time of him, like, figuring it out. Nope. We he just shows up with gold. We see him explore a little bit. We see him practicing climbing a rope, and it's like, well, what's that about? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, he's clearly preparing for something. We see him, uh, he goes back to the grandma, sets her on fire, gives her her death that she wanted. And then, yeah, uh, he's he's practicing with flour, too, like making something with flour. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what happens. Next thing we get is he rocks back up in the big city. Mm-hmm. Sporting some new gold coins. I and love this dude that he's kind of hanging with. Yeah, we get some other characters here. We learn first that he has a wife. <laughs> and their first interaction is great. Yeah. So apparently she has started a... Um, she's uh, milling flour. Mm-hmm. Milling wheat to make flour and stuff. And he's upset at this because she's yeah. working by herself. <laughs> he even says, like, you want to become an independent woman? It's like, you were gone so long. They, what was I supposed uh, to do? They blame Gandhi for it. Yeah, actually. they blame Gandhi for it. Yeah. Uh, but I like how it turns because then he's like, if you'll make me a bunch of flour, I'll spin it into gold basically and make you a rich woman. Yeah. And they fight a little bit and then they Hook fight up. and fuck. Uh, yeah, they do. There is an interesting cultural thing here. So like, um, because flour and grain is like, it's not the same flour that we have. Mm-hmm. So, like, our flour is basically devoid of nutrients. Um, <laughs> America! Yeah. America! Um, but whole grain, which is what they're grinding on mm-hmm. that wheel, and I fucking love those things. They're so... Yeah. The millstones. The millstones. So cool, they're yeah. just so cool. People would actually come to the person who had the mill. Right. And it was like, you actually had a stature in town. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And so, I do think it's interesting that Vineyak wants to be so much more. Right. Like, and he always thinks he can be more than he is, but already his wife is in good standing. Like, she, she has good, good stature good for the herself, town. Yeah. And people respect her. They bring their, like, they'll harvest their grain, bring it to her to mill. She'll give it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I thought that was interesting that already he's like, no, 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 this is beneath you. Yeah. Right. When actually she's feeding people. Sure. Like she's it's doing like one of the most important things you could do. <laughs> yeah. Cause you could actually survive off of that alone. Yeah. Like there's enough nutrients in that wheat. You that's, could, that's the basic food. You could people. actually survive. Yeah. Not like now, if you had some flour, you'd be like, <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to get scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they fight fuck. Um, the other character we meet is Ragov. I like Ragov. Ragov's got a bitching ass haircut too. He does. <laughs> um, and he is essentially an opium merchant who has many dealings in the city, mm-hmm. and Vineyak's in debt to him. Not for long. And so he actually offers him his first gold coin to kind of set off some of that debt. Mm-hmm. So he's selling. He's basically selling the, the gold coin to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ragov 
does wonder if this is the treasure that's rumored to be in Tombad. So he knows a little bit about it. He he's heard of it, and he knows they're the Vinyx from there. Mm-hmm. And so the, the wheels start a turning. Yeah. Then we get a cool montage musical number. We do, but it's not it's it's non diegetic though. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a it's a nice song over top the montage. It's not like people singing and dancing. Right. And so it's I a did, song. I didn't lose my shit about Tombad. Yes. Uh, I would say that they do song narration better than the lady caterwauling. <laughs> um, I'll give you that. I, I do love Kioma, but yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> this lady's a little less forced on the on the narrated on the narrative song. And this singer's also not telling us exactly what just happened. It, it's more. Um, <laughs> It's more metaphorical about the situation. <laughs> yeah, right. so Vignac keeps going back, and then he'll return with gold coins, mm-hmm. sells them to Ragov. In the meantime, he has a son. He has a son. It starts, you see some time pass. You see him getting growing. wealthier and wealthier, mm-hmm. doing They're, better, doing better. I, I do think it really is important when they have a son, um, they, they both look so happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they both look like they're on the right track, they're happy with their lives, they're like showering their son with. They also use that gold coin to bless him. Yeah, I think it's honey or something they put it yeah. in. Yeah, put it on his. Uh, I was really upset about that because kids can't have honey till they're year old. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, baby endangerment here. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he's probably getting slapped around. <laughs> they're slapping him too. <laughs> he's crying. They're slapping him. <laughs> Shut up, bam. Um. Yeah. So he he keeps. Becoming wealthier and wealthier, and we see him acquiring more things and nicer clothes. A record player. I quite like that scene where they bring in the record player. He yeah. doesn't even know how it works. Right. It's like, <laughs> um, and we get a few other story beat drops here. Um, the British has occupied India. What? Uh, we get a Sergeant Cooper that Ragov is kind of dealing with. Yep. And we learned that uh, despite seeming to have like the upper hand on Vinayak, Ragov's got his own troubles. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, Ragov has to come up with a bunch of money, and then he's going to buy from Sergeant Cooper a permit to legally trade in opium, right? which will secure all his business dealings. Yes. But he doesn't have the money. Nope. Which is going to lead him to try something. So what's he going to do? He's wondering about those gold coins. Mm-hmm. Like, like you would do if your uh, once indebted kind of friend sure. suddenly bought his own freedom and it was then living large uh-huh. and he disappears every now and then and comes back with more coins mm-hmm. uh, so he makes his way to Tumbad well he sets up a plan oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's an interesting plan yeah. his widowed daughter-in-law yeah he, he brings her and he says hey let me let me sell you her she can you can do whatever you want I don't care she's foxy too she's pretty foxy <laughs> I ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, already though like it's kind of great when he brings her in because uh, his wife, Vinayak's wife, is like, what oh, the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right in front of her face. What yeah. the fuck? And, and he's like, you always wanted a maid, right? And she's like, yeah, not a hot one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I love it because Rogoff tries to smooth it over with her because he's interacted a lot with the wife, too. Because the one time he visited her to like try to question her about Tumbad... And she didn't know all the details, and right. then he had to like play that off. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's like, "Oh no, she she could be a, a great cook, and you've got the kid, and uh, she can you know help with everything. Mm-hmm. She can sleep upstairs in the attic. Yeah, no trouble. But the attic happens to like be over top of everything. And <laughs> yeah. one night, old uh, Vinny Axe getting high on some opium, 
uh-huh. uh, sitting there, a little, a little smoke, smoke, and she like opens up the attic. She's like, "Hey, what's up?" She's, she's basically she's like, "Give me, you know." Well, she uh, says, "I've got this money. Yeah, if you'll give me more, I'll tell you where I got it from." Right. And then he Except just he crawls up, slips up there, yeah. and they immediately are kind of super into each other. Sure. <laughs> and but she says that Ragov told her to keep him busy for two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she which, blows it immediately. And that's what the money was for. Uh, yeah, right. She said two days, not two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Only need one. <laughs> you stud. <laughs> so immediately he realizes that Ragov has gone off to Tumbad. Yep. To try to see about this treasure. So he ain't got no time for loving. He's got to head to Tumbad. No time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and this is another amazing sequence, I, I think. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Did you get Ragov at the mansion, and he's kind of wandering around, like, you know, where is this treasure? What's mm-hmm. going on? I'm trying to piece it together. And Tiniac fucking, le- Vinniac fucking leads him. Yeah, he's sneaking around, and you'll see, like, he'll be out of frame in the background coming by, or peering through, like, a little alcove off yeah. to the side. Ragov doesn't know that he's been observed by Vinniac. And then he starts, like, making noises, and, like, beating on the wall, or hitting a stick on the ground. Which guides Ragov to the well. Yeah. And then when he gets there, he sees Vinyak is there, and he's doing his thing and like teaches him. Oh, you go down this well, and you come back up with money. Yeah. And he does this great thing, like when he climbs back out of the yeah. well, he stops, pulls coins out of his shirt, yeah, shakes them kind of like to make them. a big scene of it. Yeah. I like, oh, uh, I've got money. Ooh, but like what this? I what I love is that. <laughs> Vinyak barely makes it off screen before Ragov's like fucking moving in with a lantern. Like, He's not very. <laughs> well, I mean, I got big dungeon crawl vibes from this too. Oh like yeah, the old school RPG. You come up on an abandoned mansion or a castle and yeah. explore it. Yeah, and if two children are asking you things, you say "fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> Little spoiler for uh, the Death, Death House, D and D Fifth Edition. Uh, yeah, so. I love this part. So Ragov goes down. Mm-hmm. And inside the well, it's almost like a little sane dungeon crawling. It's like a little dungeon path. Yeah. That kind of winds its way to this big... It's like a big stone chest. Stone chest. And it's got an engraving on the top, and it's the goddess we see from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he goes in. And it has locks on it, but I mean, it's obviously like, you know, locks to keep something in. Yeah. yeah. Not- it's, it's the kind you just like pull to the side. Right. And now we actually see it for the first time here, right? Yes. Yes, he's descending down. And we've been in Del Toro land. And suddenly we hard veer into Clive Barker territory. Because <laughs> it is literally like this giant flesh room. Yes. Yeah. Like a big... Like a big a, womb. A womb, yeah. yeah. It a, is a, a big womb. A flesh that's literally like pulsing and quivering. And he's and got like slime on him and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty great. Like it it's, is it's pretty fucking cool. amazing. Yeah. I don't know how much of it was practical, how much was CG. They built a set for it. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a set. It's like Dario Gento was like, can you build me? <laughs> build me a goddess womb. <laughs> Make it juicy. <laughs> okay, Dario, whatever, man. All right, man, cool. You freak. <laughs> um, yeah, but the only problem is here is that... There's no treasure. There's no treasure, and Vinyak didn't really tell him what to do. Well, no. He just saw him go down the rope and come back up with money. Um, so, 
this all kind of happened pretty fast. He's exploring the room, like on the edges and stuff, and trying to see, like, is there like another room? Is yeah. there like a secret? He's like touching the flesh wall and stuff like that. And meanwhile, Vinyak is shimming yeah. down the rope because he knows what to do. And we see him quickly kind of, he's laying some stuff out. You can't see because, again, he's like out of frame. He's a quiet motherfucker, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, this is where it all pops off. Yeah. And then it gets really crazy. Because Ragov turns around and sees him, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, but something moves off frame and grabs Ragov. We don't really see what it is at first. But then he's being dragged up this womb wall. <laughs> and it's this fleshless, desiccated thing wearing a crown. Yeah. Which is Hastar. It is Hastar. It's... And then like he, a, he's like getting absorbed by the womb and stuff. And it's, you can tell he's turning into whatever grandmother was. There's like a blend of CG here. There's some CG, but a lot of it's practical. So too. it was a practical, like they had a person and did makeup and stuff to do Hastar, but then there was like some CG touch up yeah. on it. It's just, it's not bad at all. And it, it feels, it kind of reminded me of a crawler. Yeah. From the descent. Sure. Um, it wasn't so bad that it took me out of the movie. But what happens, the next part is just like... Um, so this is where we kind of piece together like what, what goes on and how yeah. this works. Mm-hmm. So basically you climb down in there and you use the flower to make this like little doll version. The doe doll. Yeah, doe doll. And you throw it out. It attracts Hastar. And then while he's distracted trying to eat it, you can run up and pull on the loincloth, get a few coins, and then hopefully you're fast enough and physically fit enough to race back to the rope, climb it back up with your money. Mm-hmm. And you put a circle, like, was it salt? Yeah, it was salt. A circle of salt around yourself when you climb down, and he cannot pass that barrier. Yeah, it's like a little safe area. But once you start climbing up, you're outside of that barrier, and he can climb up a wall to get you. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll, it's a it's a circle effect of only like a five-foot dome. <laughs> right, right. Speaking five of D&D references. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did anyone else think that Haster was shitting out gold? It has that look, yeah, a little bit. I really thought he was shitting the gold. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, to me, it's like if we want to stay with D and D things, it's like a bag of holding, so it's just like an infinite. Yeah, bag an infinite of money, amount so. of money will come out. You never know how much. I guess you have to grab what you can. Um. Yeah, but later he comes back to check on Ragov, and he's fused to the wall, yeah. and he's the same kind of creature now as the grandmother. So that's yeah. that's the curse. If Hastar gets you, he turns you into like this immortal ever hungry creature Ugh. like him but I mean, you could tell that Vidiac is I mean he's not happy about this he's not like I mean he's obviously saddened that his friend's done this because yeah. I don't think he knew quite yet the true dangers of it you know like he was he had never seen it yeah he yeah. hadn't seen it he was good at what he was doing so. even if he didn't know it seeing it would be completely different uh, but when the dude's arm breaks off yeah, yeah. this Haster comes out and breaks his arm he's eating it it's just like it's really, it's actually a great, it's a very Evil Dead special yeah, effect. it's great. But like, like spraying, spraying all everywhere. over him. I was like, oh shit, okay, we went there. Uh, cool. So Vinyak throws his lantern at him and, and burns him. Yeah, gives him mercy. Yeah. Oh, so did you guys notice um, the funny thing? Anytime they're smoking, the little thing that popped in the bottom corner oh, yeah. of the screen. Smoking is very hazardous. <laughs> that was hilarious. I saw that and I'm like, what is that? I was not expecting that at all. Smoking is injurious to your health, is what it says. It was great because it like pops in there like what the fuck. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, but interesting. Anyway. Very interesting inclusion. 
So then we're at chapter three, the final chapter. Yes, we are in 1947. Yep, post-war now. And Vignac's son has now grown up a little bit. Uh, his name is Pandurang. And he has this nice, like... It's not quite a mansion, but it's like a very... Yeah, it's a nice place, yeah. Yeah, nice it's little a nice place. House. He's got nicer things. He's got nicer clothes. He's got a cool car. He's definitely doing well for himself. At some point, he gets a motorcycle. Well, we, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say, we, we skipped that. One of the vignettes in the middle chapter is him buying a motorcycle and learning how to drive it. Yeah, Ragal's trying to teach him. He gets yeah. a building. <laughs> <laughs> great. Hey, riding motorcycles is hard, man. I've, I've never done it. Um, But they've made a little training area where he's been making pandering every day. He doesn't know why he's doing it, but he's doing all the motions of the stealing yeah, the treasure. Yeah, like he's got the rope, and he's got like a dummy with like a loincloth, mm-hmm. and yeah, like treasure uh, coins come out when he pulls on something, and he grabs what he can and jumps up. And he's timing how fast he does it and how many coins he gets every yeah. time. But even though he does well by his standards, his father doesn't seem to think so. He's clearly, I mean. You get the impression right away that he's grooming him for when he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know how to continue. Or too old to do this. Too old yeah. to do it yeah. on how to continue this lifestyle that they built up. Now that we know the process, if you think about the Sarkar, he eventually got so old yep. he couldn't do it. Yep. And the grandmother mentions before we know what's going on, they had her doing it all the time because she was like really small and fast. Mm-hmm. They could always get away, and then one time she slipped up. Yep. So kind of the things that are happening. Um, Vignac's kind of become a bad person by now. Yeah, there's a... <laughs> he's kind of slipping into some shady shit. Uh, years of opium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was was not kind to him. So he does find out, though, that um, Tumbod is actually being sold. Yes. He was supposed to be the person who was going to inherit it. Yeah, but he apparently, would be the new Sarkar for it. But apparently his opium shit fucked him all up and he didn't get it. Because now Britain is pulling out of India. Right. And they're kind of restoring control. And so they're like resettling, like who who's going to be over this area? Mm-hmm. Who's here? So the, he said he was bribing barons, basically, taking care of the barons to protect Tumbot for himself. But those barons are no longer there. So, so now he's got to act fast. And it's a very sad thing because he speaks to the guy that's like the person he'd been working with. And he was like, if you would just come to the meetings and talk to us. You, yeah. you could be the Sarkar now. And he's like, well, who is it? And it's like, it's the Indian government. And they're just going to go in and do whatever demolish they it. demolish yeah. it. Yeah. So there's a great scene where he's he knows he has to <laughs> act fast, get everything he can get. And he's showing his son his stash. Yeah. Of everything. Not his mustache. No. Oh, everyone's seen that. So <laughs> yeah. Which is still he shows that off. Yeah. yeah. It's a Franco Nero level mustache, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Um, no, his stash of coins and monies, which and he it, said it could last a lifetime, uh, the kid does. Yeah, his kid's like, why are you even continuing to still do this? Like, there's enough here forever. Yeah. Um, but he always, he tells there's them, always more. there's always more, basically. It can never be too much. Mm-hmm. And there's also a very sad moment. It's very short, but it's um, Vignac's practicing himself. And he kind of realizes, like, I'm on the borderline. I, I won't be able to do this yep. anymore. Yep. Well, and they've strategically added some fake gray yeah. to his hair. <laughs> sure. That's uh yeah. lets you know he's he's, he's getting, getting older. older. Getting up yeah. there. Um He's aged well. But he tells his wife that he's gonna take he's taking his son this time. And Pondering we see has become quite a little entrepreneur. Like he's already scheming and planning his own mm. empire. 
because also uh, our mistress is still in the mix too. <laughs> and he says he's going to marry her. Um, and I think it's interesting because it's almost like the wife has settled into this. But and this was another conversation in the middle chapter we didn't get into. But um, she tells him like it's like a whatever thing with her. She doesn't want her around. She has to be in another place. So she has her own little like apartment. Yeah. That's like nearby, mm-hmm. but separate from their home. Mm-hmm. And he still goes, hooks up with her, does all kinds of drugs with her. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah his, but Ponderong is like, no, I'm going to marry you. Like, you're going to be mine. Just laughs at him. Um, and he's what, like 10 at this point? Maybe like 10, maybe 11. That, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so then Ponderang and Vinny, they get into an argument, right? Um, I forget exactly how it started. But basically, Vignac does not appreciate Pondering's efforts in this, and he's you know he says he's ready to do this, he's ready to go get the money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Vignac keeps telling him he's not. Um, but Pondering comes up with a pretty good plan, and he tells this to his dad. He says, "Hey, let's make a bunch of dough dolls." Well, that's not yet. That's not yet what but happens before this. He takes him there for the first time. And he, yes. says, he says, we're not... It was a practice, He yes. says, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to come down and you're going to watch me do it. I forgot that. Oh, I like that scene too. I forgot and that. that way you're going to know. And what we learn actually on their drive out there, because now in the middle chapter, it was him taking like a, kind of like a, not a cab, but like he paid someone to drive him out there. Yeah. Now he's got the car and he's driving out there. Uh-huh. And he has this long conversation with his son on the way. Yes. And what we learn is that opening narration is actually part of this conversation. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. And we didn't have the context to know. But an additional thing that happens here that I thought was super interesting is when they're talking about what's going on and Pandarang's kind of trying to be like, well, what, what is the curse? What is this thing that's there? And he says, um, he asks his son, like, what would you say if there was a way that you could be immortal and live forever? And his answer is basically like, oh, well, that sounds like it would be amazing. Of course yeah. I would want that. And then he's like, no, you wouldn't. And right. you just, you, you don't understand yet like I understand. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he takes him to the site. And he shows him how to make the dough doll and everything. But he says, you know, we're leaving this here because we're just training. I'm just taking you down there to show you. Yeah, we're going to show you everything except we're not going to do it. Yeah. And they get down there and they start laying down the line of salt. But then... Something just moves, and it's Hastar, and he's down there, and he's coming for them. <laughs> because the kid brought down the Dodal. Because he thought, well, if we're here and we're going to do it, we may as well get some coins. Yeah. And things go sideways. Yeah. <laughs> um, they barely managed to get out of there. And Vinny, I think there's more hitting going on here. <laughs> well, because they, they get out and there's like this relief, right? That, that we made it. None of us got hurt in the end. Well, they do learn something from this one though, right? Because this is where they learn that Haster can't jump through that salt line. Oh, yeah. Because um, they end up like making it back to that salt line, back into their circle. Mm-hmm. Haster dives after them and turns to dust. Yeah. Basically, so they learn Haster can't come through that. Right. So they get out. Everything's good. Lesson learned. Then Pandarang produces some coins. Right. He grabs some in the chaos. Yeah. And Vidiac is pissed. Uh-huh. And Slaps like, the coins away. <laughs> Monishes them. Hits them. Of course, then he starts picking the coins up. Oh, yeah. 
can't turn it away. Those are good coins. Because yeah. we also learn like uh, he's he's still owing like a lot of money to upkeep everything now at this point. Oh well, yeah, it's never enough, is it? And so with that, he gives Pandering one of the coins. Mm-hmm. Tells him that's his first cut for the first time going, and there'll be more as they keep doing oh, it. Oh, that's right. That's when he tells the woman he's going to marry her and everything. Cause yeah, because she's coin. just kind of wandering around, and yeah. he shows up at the bottom of the steps, and he's like, "Hey, we're going to do it. What are you doing?" <laughs> And he's like, I'm a, he's like uh, he says, you're, you're my father's mistress, but when I grow up, I'm going to make you my wife. Uh-huh. And she just kind of laughs it off and is like, you know, whatever. Then he holds up the gold coin. He's like, do you want this? And she gives him like an interesting like smile that's like, you don't really know. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she does take the coin. Yeah. And then tells Vineyak. Yep. <laughs> she, she gives up information instantly. She's terrible. So that's when Vinny comes down, and I think he's smacking him around some more. And oh, yeah. I think you're a big man. You can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And there's another, another kind of sad moment happens here, too, where in the early part with Pandarang, he's very close to his mother because Vinayak's been like very distant to him. Mm-hmm. And he even talks to her at one point about, like, does father hate me? Am I not good enough? What's going on? Yeah. And after they go to Tumbad together, when they come back... When they when they were gonna leave, the mother says like, "Oh, well, you can go and then tell me the secret." Yeah. Because I've never been allowed to know. Right, right. And so then that evening, the mother comes to speak to him, and it's like, "So what's the secret?" And he just says, "That's between me and father." Yep. Can't tell you. Boys only. Sorry. But then there is a line in there that got me is when um, he said something. The mother said something about nothing makes him happy anymore, mm-hmm. and his son said, "What's the point?" And I yeah. was like, "Oof." Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Like, there it is right there, the harsh <laughs> it's lesson. It's like these fucking billionaires. It's like, how much more do you fucking need? Yeah. yeah. It's always, always more. So that's when Pondarang says, I got this idea. Yes. We're going to make a bunch of dough dolls. Get a we're bunch of dough. going down there, and we're going to throw them everywhere, so he's going to go jumping around from one to the other, and they're going to steal his actual loincloth. Which produces all the coins. Because if they have that, they're done with the, the womb and yeah, the star and they everything. they just grab them out of the loincloth whenever they want. Pretty good plan. That's pretty smart. Yeah, it doesn't go that way, though. <laughs> no. So they prep. It's a cool... Uh, we get a neat. We get another one of these song montages. Yes. Where it's them prepping to do this. And also, Vignette kind of introducing Pondering to the like extravagant lifestyle that he has. Yeah. He takes him out to this place and like pays women to like be nice to him and dance with him. He gets gives him money and lets him throw the money around. Yeah, because he wanted to to marry the the mistress, and he's like, uh, "No, you're just gonna take care of yourself until then." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Well, why?" He's like, "All right, I'll take you to a whorehouse." Yeah, yeah. Solid parenting. Hmm. I mean, it's better than hitting him. Yeah. So. <laughs> at, least getting, at least he's not getting hit currently. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he has a thing for it now. He's gonna ask the woman to start hitting him. <laughs> Tell oh, me I'm no. not good enough. Hit me. Hit me. Jason, don't live out your fantasies oh. through this show. <clears throat> Sorry. So they go back to the mansion. They sure do. And they have just massive quantities of these dough dolls ready they do, to go. Indeed. They come down to do everything, do the circle, all that good stuff. And Hastar shows up. Then another Hastar shows up. And another. <laughs> For each doll they've brought, a Hastar shows up. And this still like the, the, <laughs> the womb area already, and the depiction is like Clive Barker. I think this twist is a very Clive Barker twist. 
It is. In a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like the avarice is just multiplied. Mm-hmm. It's great. But yeah, shit It's also goes. kind of D&D, because I could see something like this happening. Like, players <laughs> think they've got a great plan, and like, this can't fail, and they go down there and... Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> and Vignac notices it first, while Pandarang is just chucking doll after doll, and he's trying to get him to stop, but it's too late and there's a swarm of them yep and things go very very wrong <laughs> and they end up trapped down there yeah because yes. they can't leave this circle i yeah. mean like they can't out climb that many of them yeah and uh Pandarang actually gets knocked out in the exchange what one like almost gets them going back in the circle yeah, i think and right and some he, get pushed in there and they turn <clears> into <throat> dust or whatever but vineyard comes up with a plan well, yeah, it, it's neat because it goes black because the light goes out, too. And then as Pondering kind of wakes back up, we see what's been going on. Vineyak is currently strapping um, all of these Dodals to himself, and he's going to use himself basically as bait yeah, so that Ponderon can get out. Yeah. Um, it's going to be... It's almost like Vineyak is... Realized like this is the only thing I can do now because I'm yeah. a shitty ass person and I've <laughs> got to take I got to save my son however I can. You can feel it too, like all the stuff I said earlier from the notes about like the the emotions being conveyed. Like you really feel the emotions here. Like it's settled on him. Like shit, what have I done? No. Yeah. Um. So he he makes himself doughboy bait and like <laughs> starts. Oh shit. Um. Uh, and he starts climbing the rope. They all come after him and start swarming after him, but then they all fall through the top of the sphere thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and basically all turn to dust. So therefore, they can both get out now. But the problem is, is uh, Vineyak didn't make it out unscathed. Right. Um, and he got caught by Haster. So he's out now um, at the top. He's out of the well. And mm-hmm. now Ponderong is coming after it's safe. Uh, but what he finds, his father is not really his father anymore. Uh, yeah, he's like out there in the courtyard just past the well. Yeah. And, and he's already mutating into whatever the hell his grandmother Yeah, was. he's full on deadite. You know, <laughs> looks, the makeup's great too. It looks like very similar makeup to the grandmother. Yeah. Um, but he, he tells Ponderong and shows him that he got the loincloth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just um, take it. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, he offers it to him. He says, take it. This is what you wanted. And I think it's the fact that he says that it like suddenly clicks mm-hmm. with him, and he's like, "No, no good's gonna come of this." No, he's like, "I can't do it." And so, just in in tears and totally emotionally devastated, Ponderong sets his dad on fire and gives him the same the same release that was given to the grandma and Ragav, and he walks Bur- on out of there, burns him and the loincloth. Yep. yep, and that's the end. So. Is Haster just like running around there with his dick out now? <laughs> Who knows? Or like, does his loin cloth regenerate? Regenerate. I think there's a loin cloth cloth per copy. So, but there's at least one out there just free balling it. <laughs> well, there's no no reason one escaped. I think. I think they all kind of were implied to fall down. I wonder if coins would even come out of the loin cloth, or if it's just out of his butt once now. it's been removed. <laughs> God. <laughs> There's there, a lot of questions. There here. are a lot of logistics. I have a lot of. A that's all part of the whole, you know, mythical aspect of it that I like so much. Because yeah, it is a fairy tale, right? They don't need to make sense. They don't need to be logical. But this is Tumbod. This mm-hmm. is the movie. Yep. God, it's so fucking good. I have I have some bonus fun notes. Okay, but um, late on us. 
Uh, let's see. Things that I thought were cool that were worth talking about. Uh, it was only shot using natural light, which is awesome. That is awesome, yes. The whole Barry Lyndon thing there. Um, it was the first Indian film to ever open at the Venice International Film Critic Week. I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm? A little uh, acclaim for it. Yep. Um, it was very successful. It was very successful. Made money. Over the years from its inception to being made, it was optioned by seven different production companies. And they would back out, and then it would come back into production, and then they would back out again. It took like six years to make it, right? Yep. And they first started shooting in 2012, and then they edited like a version, and they hated it. So then they rewrote everything, reshot everything. They scrapped that whole version they did. The whole thing. And the initial runtime when their initial finished cut was 200 minutes long. Which that sounds like a movie for me, man. That's too much. <laughs> I think this was a good length to tell the story they were telling. That was one of the things I wanted to say about it. Yeah. Is this, sometimes I think um, films can really overstay their welcome, and mm-hmm. especially sometimes international films yeah. tend to overstay, and, you're, and that you get some pacing issues. There was no pacing issues here. No, no I was no. never bored. I felt like it was it was an hour and 45 minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. It told the story. There wasn't a whole lot of fat in there. Nope. And, and there didn't need to be. Nope. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring attention to the music. It, we didn't talk about it much going through, but it is very good. It's very like sweeping, orchestral mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and it's scored by Jesper Kidd, who is known very famously for scoring a lot of the Assassin's Creed video games. Hmm. I'm not a fan of those, but they do have amazing music. So, How do you feel about the movie, Assassin's Creed? <sighs> oh, God. Fuck. I, I never saw it. <laughs> it's pretty rough. But I heard it was terrible. Get that out of here. <laughs> Uh, Rahi said that obviously the main story of the film is greed and that the first act of the film is very steeped in those stories that I mentioned that he had pulled from. Mm-hmm. Um, other neat things. Uh, it also took two and a half years for post-production. Yeah, which is which a is long, long time. Um, Soham Shah, the actor that played Viniak, he worked very hard on his Marathi diction to have the right accent to portray that character was cool it's lost on us but i'm sure it's impressive Mm -hmm. i actually have known um so some of my indian friends have talked about that speak hindi Mm -hmm. going back home like they well home is here home is america but they'll go back to visit family yeah and their family makes fun of them because their hindi has now picked up an american accent (laughs) that's interesting well i also saw something called hinglish yes which i just now discovered and but i was watching some trailers for different indian films and they were going between like Hindi and English, and because oh. I was like, I understood that part. What? What's, wait, no, I don't know that. What is this supposed to be in English? It's and yeah. they just transition back and forth for certain words. Uh, when I was an Uber driver, yeah, and I would pick up a lot of uh, Indian passengers going to work. And they'd be talking to their relatives, and like it would flow in and out, just like it's crazy. I know, and it's it was just like its own form of Hindi or its own form of English. It was like it's so, just easier to use some English words. It was words. so wild, like you'd be hearing these things just drift in and out. And it's like the fuck. Man. I understood some of that. That's I speak keep... Hindi. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so this is some like technical filmmaking stuff. So we do tend to talk a little bit more about that kind of stuff often because that's what we're interested in um so the film was made to have minimal dialogue and was shot to have constant physical movement and to use lesser cuts um rahi said in an interview we shot in the rain at these age-old locations some spots where no humans had ventured for at least a hundred years and had never appeared on film it's awesome 
Um, for me, Tumbad's locations, the feel of its stuffy air, and the lonely, rainy atmosphere defies the feeling of time's passage. And it's very central to the characters and how they progress, and yet Tumbad always stays the same. Uh, for filming it, they decided that the look and theme would be moody and gloomy. The village needed to feel timeless. It needed to feel like you never knew if it was day or night. It's always in kind of this, this gray yeah. abyss between the two. Um, it's a very cool look. All that shooting like that, there was never any natural sunlight going on. It was always cloudy, they made sure. And they just used red cameras in digital format. Mm-hmm. Um, and in their, in fact, their entire shooting schedule was actually in, built around lighting. They would track the weather and track like what sunlight was like at each day and when it would be cloudy and overcast and how much light remained like right before dark. I love that. So and, like just shooting in the studio or doing everything. Yeah, so like post. every single scene was built around having that pop off right to make a sense of gloom and dread. Um he said as far as like the focus on the rain and always filming during monsoons to make that happen, uh, they wanted the audience to feel drenched when they came out of the theaters. It was like they were oppressed by the rains of Tombad themselves. Yeah. Uh, and then last little filmmaking note, uh, it had four color schemes as far as like mood tones and color, and that includes blue, cold gray, red, and gold. Mm-hmm. Um, some scenes where they wanted to avoid modern day lighting techniques... They actually just used lanterns and lamps and like hung them up everywhere, sometimes 50 at a time, just to get the right look, but not use like the big floodlights or anything. That's awesome. It is a gorgeous movie, too. Um, the scenes inside the womb took 15 to 20 days to shoot without any visual effects being used at all. And then, of course, there was some like CG touch up later. Yeah. But, um, and it shows. I mean, it's all there, it's all in camera. Yeah. yeah you just get a better performance that way. Oh, here's my actual note about Hastar. It was made through heavy prosthetic makeup, and it took six to seven hours to prep that for shooting. Nice. So I think that's all my fun stuff. Do you have any not fun stuff? Not fun stuff? No, it's... I just love this film, man. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, it's a good movie. Maybe we should talk about it. And s- what you think. Yeah. I have one thing before that. One thing? One little thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, we have this sad ending, but there is a sense of hope, right? Because Pandarang moves on from this, and we get the hint that he was going to go down his father's path. But with what he learns, he's able to kind of choose a different direction. Plus, he's got all that money waiting for him back at home. True. And the mistress. And the mistress. If she wants the money, I mean, you know. It's going to make it rain. But I thought uh, before we talked about our feelings on the film, it would be interesting to have this little conversation. Mm-hmm. If you were in Vignac's shoes and you knew the secret of Tumbad, what would you do? Would you Would you follow that path of... Risking it all for the gold, or would you just turn a, turn away like the sun did? I don't know, honestly. I really don't. I'm a hard pass. I, I'm a <laughs> wuss. <laughs> I'd be like, I mean, if I was a younger, more athletic man, perhaps, or at least try it once. But I, I mean, that shit's pretty scary. I don't know if I'd go back. <laughs> I think that's where I am. I'm on the try it once category. Yeah, and that might be my downfall the one time. But right. There's also probably leading into our decision too is that only people who are, who do not want for money are those who say that they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So I mean, none of us are wealthy, but uh, but we're but we're fine. Sure. You know, like we're not in in poverty. No. We're not in desperate situations where we would choose to do something like that. So mm-hmm. it's easy 
to sit and say like, <laughs> no, there's no way I'd do that. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But when you, but even then, like I'm not entirely. Maybe I'm maybe I'm completely wrong about the grain thing, about the wheel thing. But I've always read and heard that the person who had the grain wheel was in a little bit better standing. But oh, yeah. maybe that wasn't the case. I don't know. That's in certain cultures. Maybe it's not that I'm way. I'm sure it's like going to make you rich, but I'm sure, you know. Yeah. So maybe, I don't But know. also, there's also the question of, do you even believe it at first? Would you go down just to see if it actually works? No, that shit I do. Yeah. Now, once it started working, I'd be like, <laughs> oh! Yeah, once Haster popped out, or like once I looked down and it looked like I'm inside of a butthole, then I'm like, <laughs> if it's like pulsating, I'm like, nope. Uh-uh. I don't want to stay in here. <laughs> oh, I remember the the one last little thing that was, that was interesting to talk about. I a butthole? Like, no. The what would you do? Uh, final little end note on this. In 2018, it was announced that they're making a sequel. Hmm. There are no details about it, other than it's going to take place in Tumbad Village, and we'll still focus on the legend of Hastar in some capacity. Interesting. Same director. Yeah. Cool. I was hoping he would do more horror. So no no news on what that'll be like or how they'll push it, but well, it'll take six years. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, I'm definitely there for whatever it is. Uh, what do we have? Twenty twenty four, twenty five, six years? Huh? For, they announced it in twenty eighteen. If it takes six years, I'm trying to do math on air. Wow. I'm not good at it. Sorry. No, you're wow. not. <laughs> Somebody could fucking help me out. It'd be 24. That's what I thought. Thank you. But also, it was two years of post-production. So then add another two and a half years to that. Plus, COVID fucked it. <laughs> so. Right. Okay. Jason, what did you think of the movie? Um, I'm pretty fond of it. I liked it a lot. I knew I would when I saw The Grandmother. Yeah. I'm like, okay. God, this, so good. This movie's got me. Um, I love that fairy tale kind of aspect to it. It's uh, it's so well made. It's well shot. It's got that great atmosphere, great makeup, a little bit of gore. Could always use more, but that's okay. Uh, it's a good story. I mean, it's, you can't that, that kind of parable. You know, the whole greed is bad. Timeless theme. Yeah. Uh, I love the thing with all the doe dolls. I love it when they all show up. All the all those hasters. That was great. Um, I'm kind of wavering. And I don't even know why. It doesn't feel like a five star movie to me. Oh, Jason, what? What? <laughs> There's something I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because you had to read it, isn't it? Yeah, I hate to read. <laughs> I don't want to read my movies. I'm gonna give it four and a half. Okay. I mean, for Jason, that's basically a five. That's yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll go next since it's your pick, and we'll okay. we'll let you cap us off. Uh, I, I've set it up from the start. I fucking love this film. I think it's so amazing, so good. The cinematography is like perfect. It's the great blending of like visual look with colors and the music to make this tone and this mood. And the mood carries through the whole film and conveys all of this emotion. Uh, like you're saying, Jason, the fairy tale aspects, the Del Toro aspects. Uh, you know, sometimes Del Toro will like pick up on another filmmaker that's like up and coming or lesser known and kind of be like, Oh, this is kind of like my thing. And he'll like help promote it. And you've picked wrong to have not boosted this guy even more because like, God, so good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the theme is just so, so hard hitting, so well conveyed. Um, even the more subtle things like the way we see through the film, 
India's history of being occupied by Britain and what that did to them. And there's there's even talks a little bit, we didn't go into it in that second chapter, about how, like, what Britain has done is, like, destroyed a lot of their culture and way of life, and they're trying to replace it with other things now. So there's even, like, a lot of great, like, subtext in there, too, about other topics as well. Um, I just love it start to finish, and I think it's, like, for 2018, it may be, to me, the best horror film that came out that year, I think. Huh? Wow. I don't yeah. really know what else came out that year, so I can't Off the top of my head, I don't know either, but... That's yeah, so I love it, and words. five stars all the way. Nice. Hardest five star I can give it. Like, oh, wow. I, did, <laughs> I wish you hadn't said hardest five star. <laughs> um, I'm five star too. Yeah, yeah. I, as much as I'm a Del Toro nerd, and absolute, anything that vibe just mm-hmm. absolutely sucks me in. But what I also really appreciate is that for a movie like this to work, you have to have solid acting. Mm-hmm. You have to have actors that sell it. Um, and that's honestly what kept me was how good the acting was in this film. Oh, yeah. It never at all felt cheesy. Um, nothing ever felt over the top. Like it was too much or they'd overstep their budget. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that always gets me too. Is and sometimes, we, we harp on that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Like know your budget, know what you have to work with and don't overstep it. And I think they did everything right. I mean, there's probably some people that argue with me about the look of Haster, but I think it's great. I mean, I think there's only just enough touch-up CG work yeah. that that's fine. Um, but no, I absolutely love this. I'm, I'm super happy that this was so highly recommended on blog posts and all that shit when I was trying to find a movie because I don't know how else I would have found this. Like, it... We, even you having seen it, like you've never brought it up before, so it would have had to have been I was something. Saving it to surprise you guys, it would have, <laughs> or it would have had to have been something that popped up. You know, like this is this is one of the reasons we do this to find mm-hmm. movies like this, mm-hmm. such cool. And it's on Amazon Prime too, so it's like super accessible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so no, I'm super happy we watched it. That uh, was great. I hesitate awesome. to ever call anything perfect, but I think this might almost. I would say it's a perfect film. Hmm. Okay, I re- my perfect Stand film. close. My perfect film usually gets people yelling at me. So, <laughs> well, what's your perfect film? Jaws. No, Jaws is a perfect. A film. A lot of people say that it's a so. perfect movie. Empire Strikes Back is a perfect movie. And then every, I mean, you tell people like Jaws is a perfect film. You're like, oh, I don't know, it's awful cheesy. And I'm like, cheesy? Fuck you. How is it cheesy? Well, listen, I don't particularly like Jaws in concept. You don't not, like the genre. I'm not big on that genre, but as a film, yeah, it's a perfect film. Yeah, it's unimpeachable. It's okay. So anyone ever tells you that, tell them to come see me. Kick their ass. <laughs> I mean, I usually just tell them to fuck off. So no, that's good too. All right. Okay. So Michael coming out of the gate, swinging strong on this first film for Indian <sighs> cinema. Yeah. And Jason, that's... somehow you have to follow this up. A lot up. of big D energy here. <laughs> <laughs> I could follow it up, but I don't know if I'm going to surpass it because I have not been able to watch my pick. Oh, another blind. Another yes. blind one. Like I said, my, my exposure to Indian cinema is woefully inadequate. I hit puberty in that. Tumbod made me a man. Uh, okay. I'm super, super. mm, Pull that trigger. About that. You're not gonna do worse than than brimstone for Dustin. It can't be worse than brimstone. Come on, let's do it. I don't know. Maybe. I'm going with 13B. Oh, that was on my list. AKA Yavara Manalam. It's supposed to be real good. I've heard about it before. Uh, it's yeah. longer than I like. 
It's like two and a half hours. That's actually why I didn't choose it for mine. <laughs> yeah. But I love the, the premise. A man experiences a supernatural occurrence at his newly purchased apartment. A soap opera being telecast exclusively on his TV, which shows the future of his family. Oh, that, that's very that's a cool premise. Very fun. Very Twilight Zone. Yeah, very Twilight yeah. Zone. And I'm a sucker for anything involving a TV in a horror film. Yeah. Okay. So 13B, it is pretty accessible. It's you can rent it on Amazon for a dollar. Oh, well, shit! Yeah. I'd rent that for a dollar. <laughs> it is. I was gonna say if if one of us didn't make that joke, have to. <laughs> Uh, oh, the runtime here says it's 2.17, so one of those may be mistaken. Either way, it's over two hours. But check cool. it out with us, and uh, in two weeks we're going to be talking about it. Yes. As always, it's been super fun. Um, continue to write, tweet, send yes. ravens. I mean, maybe somebody sent a raven, maybe it died on the way here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I keep watch at the at the border all the time. <laughs> at the rookery. <laughs> Um, But no, until next time, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening